Hi everyone, I'm Anna Close. And I'm Paul Tiberoni, and this is the Engineering History Podcast. If you want to hear about where engineering and history collide, then you're at the right show. Today, we'll be going over... Katherine Johnson and her work with NASA. Classic. Hidden figures. Hidden figures. Great gal. Can't wait to talk about her. Nice segue between Black History Month and Women's History Month. Thank you. That's what I thought as well. But first, let's give you some info about us. I'm a mechanical engineer doing mostly manufacturing activities at an aerospace company. And I'm a civil engineer focusing on water quality and water distribution. Our alcohol for today is a Ricolte 2020, and Paul just spilled some. All over the place. Yeah. Oh, next to my important tax documents. Uh-oh. Oh, it's should okay. I, should I clean it um, up or... No, let it dry. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, hey, cheers. Cheers. Clearly, I'm excited. Yeah. Maybe I'll just move the tax documents just a little mm. bit away, you know. Fair enough. You know, tax season. You uh, wouldn't want to get rid of the evidence of the money laundering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay. So what do you know about Katherine Johnson? Um, NASA. Human computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like four of them in the movie. Uh, yeah. Mahershala Ali. Yes. Um, that's it. He was in the movie, yeah. Right? He was. Yeah. yeah, I think he was, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's get into it right now because this girl, this lady, real interesting. Catherine Coleman, which was her maiden name, uh, was born in August of 1918 in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Catherine's parents were determined to get her and her siblings the best education they could provide despite living in the segregated South. So the nearest high school that they could go to that was available to them was 80 miles away from the family home. Whoa! So they all had to move. Yeah, it's no shit. (laughs) Um, But luckily, Catherine was incredibly smart and showed a strong interest in mathematics at a very young age. Nice. She entered high school at... Guess what age? Uh, well, normally you do it at like 13, so I'm mm-hmm. going to say like 11. 10 years old. Ooh. And graduated at 13. Wow. hmm That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And after high school, she enrolled in the historical all-black college, West Virginia State, where she graduated with the highest of honors and earned a bachelor's degree in mathematics and French. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. You always see that with these, like, genius types. They always have some other side shit going on that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. I like to think it was, like, a way to, like, push her brain because, yeah. you know, you have the analytical side and then learning a language is very, very difficult. So yes. it was a way to, like, push herself. I, uh, I used to work somewhere where I worked with, like, legitimate actual geniuses, like, not hyperbole. Yeah. And every single one of the geniuses had, like, some other... Like, one was really into cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember any other ones off. Oh, one was really into theater. He was, like, an actor while working at this really, like, demanding and, like, like sort of, like, you know, top-tier place. And Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That is, you know, everyone has their hobbies. Yeah, but, like, these people were, like... Perfect at it, right? I, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely cooking guy was. I never saw the actor act, but... Mm. Well, a few months after graduating, you want to hear about what happened? After graduation, I would assume she went to college. 
Well, after graduating from college. Oh, uh, I would assume she went to go work for NASA. <laughs> nice try, because remember, this is the Deep South in mid to early 1900s, and everything is super segregated at this point. So they probably gave her some job as like a, I don't know, like a, well, I mean, there's important jobs too. Something not intellectual, like maybe like a, a steel worker. No, well, she actually got a teaching job in Marion, Virginia. Ooh, yeah. wait, Marion, Virginia, not super far. From, I mean, yes, it is super far. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty far from D.C., but in the great great Commonwealth of Virginia. Yes, great great state. Um, not a great state to be in uh, during the early 1900s. As a black um, woman? Yeah, yeah. probably not. <laughs> Um, but luckily, that's where she met fellow educator Jim Goebel. I thought it was going to be Johnson. I thought it was going to be Jim no, Johnson. No, no, because it's, it gets a little sad. Uh-oh. Um, in 1939, Catherine and Jim, Jimmy got married. But Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. Um, and that same year, she was invited to attend West Virginia University to get her uh, master's degree. Nice. Because um, they were trying to integrate the college at the time. Heck Yeah. She enrolled for a short time, but quit due to her desire to focus on family life and not releasing the need for a master's because the only jobs like an educated black woman such as herself would get at the time would be teaching. Because again, this was the South, you know, uh, what is it? Early to mid 1900s, everything's super racist and super segregated. So it's not like a lot of options. I'm totally for people taking time off school and work to focus on family, but, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously you don't want to get forced into it by, like, societal circumstances. Yeah, and I really, I'm so curious to see, like, what she could have done, like, if she had gotten the master's and had, like, like, you know, not been in a segregated, horribly racist area, but... (sighs) It kind of reminds me of our last, the George Washington Carver episode, where it's like, you know... In some ways, the experience made the person, mm-hmm. but in other ways, you kind of wonder what else they could have done. Yeah, or even Damon. Like, he was yes. teaching a lot as well, because that's really the only jobs you could get during that time. It's true. But, like, what would what would have his life and what would society be like if, uh, you know, if, he, like, people weren't so damn stupid, silly, stupid, racist stupid. people. Stupid. You can yeah. say the word stupid. Yes. Controversial stance. Anna just dropped that she thinks racism is stupid. Yes. Which it is. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Taking some real hot takes here. <laughs> yeah. um, but they had three dollars. They had three dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes it all better. <laughs> she and Jimmy had three daughters. One in 1940, one in 1944, and the last one in 1947. And unfortunately, in 1951, Catherine and Jimmy's home caught fire. And they were looking for a fresh start. I think oh, it was wait. like an electrical thing. Okay, so yeah. was, was it really an electrical thing? I don't know. I wouldn't... I don't know. This is like... Just, isn't that like... That's a thing you hear all the time. You know, they would light their house on fire. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, also it's like the 50s, like things really don't have like codes or anything. Yeah, so. that's true. Look, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> do some like a lot of research into how their home caught fire, but... They ultimately decided to move to Newport News, Virginia. Ooh. Yeah, where they decided to live with Jimmy's sister at the time. Okay. Um, And in 1953, Catherine soon learned of a job opportunity that seemed too good to be true. Okay. Guess what it is. 
NASA. Wrong. It's NACA. Ooh, you're pulling out the NACA lore. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yes. So the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, or NACA. NACA. In Hampton, Virginia, which is also where the NASA Langley Research Center is, by yes. the way. Yes. No coincidence. Was hiring women with math experience. And nice. they were called, the women who were hired for this position were called computers because they would analyze test data, check engineers' work, and provided mathematical computations for NASA, or what would later be known as NASA, because we'll get into it later, but NASA sort of overtakes NACA during, like, the space race. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Your opinion, and maybe the, let me know if we should table this for the more philosophical section, mm-hmm. but is it better to have kind of a limited role for women at this time, or should, like, you almost want to just be like, well, just make them full engineers, you know? If they're women with math experience, they can do the job. But at the mm-hmm. time, women weren't thought of that they could do engineering at all. So, on the one hand, it's kind of annoying because it's just kind of like, okay, these women are just going to check your work, you know? Yeah, it's like degrading. Like it's a little degrading, here, right? Oh, you have a cute little math degree Oh, from you can like, read my notes, yeah, you know? Maybe you can learn something from me, even though we probably went to the same school. Yeah. And you definitely have a higher GPA than I do, so... Definitely. But on the other hand, but if there's... I'm a man. <laughs> yeah. But, but what, I guess what I'm asking is, like, on the other hand, maybe that was the necessary stepping stone. No, I agree. I think, like, the space race really sort of jump-started, like, the need for engineers, obviously. But also the need for all engineers. Yeah. Women, men, it doesn't matter what race you are. Like, if you were smart and you could handle your mathematical computations or whatever, you were you were needed because the U.S., they wanted to beat Russia. Fuck yeah, they did. Boy, did they want to beat Russia. Yeah, so these women were basically essential to the success of the early U.S. space program, as were, like, basically everyone involved, you know? Yes. But... Let's get into a little bit of NACA, and then we're going to do a deep dive into the background of the time, you know, the Cold War, the space race, what was it, and what caused it, you know, just to give you guys a little bit of understanding of what was going on at the time. A little context, a little, little level setting, I like it. Yeah, so, all right, so NACA before it was overtaken by NASA, was segregated. and they were, But they were required by federal law not to discriminate on the basis of race when hiring. So they had two divisions. So NACA had two divisions of computers, one for the white female workers and one for, for the black female workers. And the hiring process, even though, like, they, by, by federal law, they couldn't be you know, like super racist or anything like that. They were. Of course. (laughs) Um, The hiring process was incredibly harsh for the black women. Um, The black women had to have high level degrees in mathematics along with a high GPA where the white women didn't. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so (laughs) this ultimately led to the engineers wanting to work more with the black women since they were experienced. Like way higher qualified. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, and the segregation policy ended in 1958 when NACA was incorporated into the newly formed NASA. Nice. All right, before we get into, like, the Cold War and space race and all of that, I wanted to 
go over like a little bit more, like a tiny, tiny bit more of Catherine's background because it goes back to her husband and why her married name is Johnson and not Goebel. So Goebel is her real... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no. Her her maiden name, the name that she was born with, was um, Coleman. But she married Jimmy Goebel and then, you'll never believe it, uh, her first husband died of a brain tumor in 1956. Oh, my God. Um, but luckily, she was, like, very hardworking at the time, and she was so enraptured with her job that it helped her out of depression, but she was still left with three adolescent children. That is just brutal. Yeah, she would meet her second husband, Captain Jim Johnson. Another Jim. Yeah. Okay, she has a type. Yeah, at choir practice. Nice. And they got married in a small ceremony in 1959. And, I mean, by this time, most of her children were either grown up or, like, in middle school or high school. Um, and Jim and Catherine remained married until 2019 when Jim passed away. I believe he was, like, somewhere in his 90s. And... Catherine passed away in 2020, and I think she was like 102 or something. I remember yeah. that, yeah. She was <clears throat> crazy old. And no hate to the old. Why, why would that be? I mean, no, and just 102, a, it's crazy old. Yeah, it is. She's got a lot of stories to tell, I'm sure. For real. Wow, over 100. 1918. That was yeah. before the Golden Gate Bridge was built. Dude, when she was 20, World War II was just beginning. Exactly. It hadn't, hadn't even really started. Like, there was, like, yeah. like Nazis and fascism, like, on the rise when she was yeah. 20. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, wow. Dude, that's crazy. The Golden Gate Bridge is honestly even crazier, though. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. But that's just to give a little perspective on, on how old she was and what she lived through. Um, so, Cold War. Space race. What was it? What was happening at this time? And what the fuck is NACA? What did they do? I don't know. Uh, have you ever heard of them? I mean, yeah. Yes, you yeah. have. But, okay. I but I that's because you're I, a nerd. most people haven't. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> But yeah. For those listening who don't know what the Cold War is, um, <laughs> pick up a history textbook. Yeah, go back to like middle school or high school or something. Yeah. I'm just kidding. And if you're in middle school and high school, thank you for being that percent of our audience, which is somewhat small. Thank you for your service. I thought you were going to say thank, thank you, you for, for your, your service. service. <laughs> it, saying it now, middle school is worse than Afghanistan. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah, I've never been to either place. <laughs> <laughs> I was a homeschooler, so... I know, we can all tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so during this time, the 50s and 60s, the U.S. and Soviet Union were caught in the Cold War, which was, like, basically a lot of geopolitical tension between the two countries because they were both sort of powerhouses, you know, very big. They wanted to dominate each other. One was godless commies, and the other was patriotic, <laughs> God-fearing, red-blood Americans. Exactly. Um, and just to give a little bit of reference, the Cold War spans from like the f like right after World War II, kind of up until the 90s. But we're gonna focus um, a little bit more around this era, like the 50s and 60s, because I cannot do that much research That's in a, lot a week. Of research. <laughs> yeah. Um, so both countries were starting to become more powerful, and it was a race to see who was the best, both in politics, <coughs> economics, military, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, following the end of World War II, the wartime relationship between the U.S. and the Soviet Union at the time uh, began to deteriorate. And this is because 
1948, the Soviets had installed left-wing governments in the countries of Eastern Europe that had been liberated by the Red Army. The U.S. feared the permanent Soviet domination of Eastern Europe and the threat of Soviet-influenced communist parties coming to power in Western Europe. The Soviets, on the other hand, were determined to maintain control of Eastern Europe in order to safeguard against any possible renewed threat from Germany, and they were intent on spreading communism worldwide, largely for ideological reasons. The Cold War had solidified by this time when U.S. aid provided under the Marshall Plan to Western Europe, or when U.S. um, aid was provided under the Marshall Plan to to Western Europe, sorry. I, I, you know, sometimes you just get so excited about doing the research and yeah. you don't check your grammar. Look, the material is what matters. Yeah. So, <clears throat> do you know what the Marshall Plan is? Uh, is this the same as the Marshall Doctrine? Uh, somewhat. S- like the containment of the commies? I don't remember what the Marshall Doctrine was about. Maybe but, I'm thinking of something else. Uh, no, it wasn't about, like, containment. It was more just kind of like... Okay, I'll just go over it right now. So the Marshall Plan was, in essence, the U.S. giving money or aid to restore industrial and agricultural production, um, establish financial stability, and expand trade to Western European countries that were predominantly inhabited by the Soviets. But wasn't part of the... I mean, the real strategic goal here was to increase our influence in the region and Mm -hmm. decrease the commies. Precisely. It was kind of like... um, Hey, we'll give you like ten million dollar or ten billion dollars, you know, if you don't become fascist. Which, wink, wink. <laughs> by the way, is exactly what China is doing right now. Everybody, Google Belt and Road Initiative. Oh my god, it's a real thing. No. This podcast is about to be taken down. No, okay. <laughs> Are we gonna get one of those labels? Like- yeah, like misinformation. <laughs> we already got the COVID label. Oh, I don't think it was like a misinformation. Yeah. I think it was just like this briefly mentions COVID nineteen. This might get a COVID label. Yeah. And a misinformation. The Wuhan Institute of Virology. Oh my God, no, stop, please. <laughs> Look up Anthony Fauci. What, what is it? Um, uh, gain of function research. I'm not helping with this. <laughs> okay. Okay. Who want to hear about the plan? Yes. <laughs> it ended up being very successful. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Go USA. <laughs> Damn. If only the Soviets had sent a balloon over the US, we would have shot that oh, bitch down. Oh, we would have peppered that bitch with American bullets. <laughs> with American eagles. We'd have Ameri- ah! the <laughs> They're like tearing it apart, you know? <laughs> And one just unfurls the scroll that yeah. just says, God bless America. <laughs> one just, like, is slingshotted with the U.S. Constitution in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, bald eagles, actually, when they... It's like they have a squawk. Like, that sound that goes like, that you think yeah. of, that's not their real sound. If you look up what they actually sound like, it's like... <laughs> it's, like, really weird. It's, like, really fucking weird. Oh, my God. I, God bless this country. God bless this country. Okay, like I said, the plan ended up being very successful, with the Western European countries involved experiencing experiencing a rise in their products and a renewal in engineering and industrial fields, and we kind of, you know, get them against Look, the commies. You know, there's Papa Papa USA is gonna take real good care. Of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't worry about those. Don't worry. About those, uh, you know, ruskies or whatever. Yeah. Can I finish this? Yeah. Whatever. Oh hell yeah. All right, so we move from the 40s into the 50s and early 60s, specifically the late 50s. 
In the early 60s. In the early 60s. That's when the Cold War really, really started to get more intense. Okay. And this was due to the U.S. and the Soviet Union developing intercontinental ballistic missiles. ICBMs? Mm Mm-hmm. In 1962, the Soviet Union secretly placed missiles in Cuba, which sparked the Cuban Missile Crisis, obviously. Real crisis! The Bay of Pigs, I think, you the know. The Bay of Pigs invasion? Wasn't there, like, an exploding cigar or something? Was, yeah, yeah, wasn't there? Yeah, I thought so. Man, we really was this one was, like, Castro assassination. Yeah. <laughs> I remember there's a historical record called Call of Duty Black Ops. <laughs> <laughs> Which I enjoyed a lot oh, no. during my youth. Uh, there's like a mission in Cuba where you have mm-hmm. to sh- you like shoot Fidel Castro, but then it turns out it was just like his like body double, and he like sends you to a gulag. Yeah, mom, I'm studying, and it's just you playing. I'm studying history, the Cold War, and it's just you playing like Call of Duty. You Black know, Ops. it was the that, that is probably one of the places I've always loved Cold War history. Yeah, me too. I find it interesting, like the whole spy thing. I wasn't really into when I was younger, but I find it really interesting now. Folks, if you're ever in Washington D.C., the International Spy, Spy Museum, Museum. Oh, a so wonderful cool. and crazily fun museum. There was, and my mom loves this movie, like absolutely adores it. Get Smart, the well, latest one, I, with Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway. I haven't seen that one. I saw the original show like way back when, you know. Oh, she, my mom, like. Like, I swear, for a month straight, she would just come home from work and just put that, just put that <laughs> movie on, and we just watch it. That's like, hilarious. That's like, I think, a 10-year-old would do, you know? Yeah. Like, I have the same movie I watch, like, yeah. whereas it's your mom. But there was one specific scene. A lot of, the, a lot of like, the movie was filmed in D.C., mm-hmm. and there was one scene where it's the beginning, and Steve Carell's character goes into work, and since he's, like, a data analyst for the spies or whatever, he goes through the... Um, international spy or the na- the spy museum, the nice. one that we just talked about, and he like uh, goes through like this back door or something. I can't remember everything, but it was just so cool. And you know, it's nice. It's nice that DC gets uh, gets a few scenes in. We get that, yeah. yeah. Where we, I mean, we, but mm-hmm. DC, I feel like needs more movies. Yeah. They had some beautiful scenes of the National Mall. Nice. And, um, yeah, great, great movie. Wasn't that the movie where Duck, the duck's not being real? Yes. 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 Uh, where Which was kind that? of foreshadowed Bird's Not Real. Yeah, I guess. Where was it? The Reflection The Reflecting Pool. Yeah, The Reflecting yeah. Pool. Oh, yeah. That was, I mean, beautifully shot. I think Wonderful. it had to be early in the morning or something. 100%. Because you don't get orange skies like, no, you get orange skies like that at, when it's, like, dusk. You do, Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, um, Cuban Missile Crisis brought us in the Soviet Union to the brink of war. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Mutually assured destruction. Yes. Since the Soviet Union and the U.S. both had like a shit ton of nuclear weapons, they both were kind of like, all right, white flag, you know, yeah, yeah. this would destroy everyone and everything. Everybody's got a family, you know. Yeah. So, like you said, this would be called the mutually Mutual Assured Destruction or Mutual Atomic Annihilation. And both countries signed the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty in 1963. Which was part of Space Nukes, the Space Nukes episode. Yeah, episode yeah. Episode 15. Exactly. Good callback. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, it's all tying together. I know. History, man. That's amazing. 
But yeah, so they didn't, they, we didn't blow each other up. So that's good. Uh, According to some. Yeah. (laughs) But obviously this wasn't the end of the Cold War. It lasted until like the 90s. There's still historical... And then reignited in 2008. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. But like there's still a whole bunch of like historical events like the Berlin Wall, the War Scare of 1983 and like other stuff that it would just like take hours to go over. Even honestly, like a whole podcast... It's hard to hold back. There's some amazing. It's like Mr. Gorbachev, tear down down this wall. wall. (laughs) Yeah. And also in the space nukes episode, when that same man, President Reagan, was like, "Ladies and gentlemen, I've just introduced legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. (laughs) We begin bombing in 15 minutes." Oh my god. Yeah. That yeah. man ran our country. <laughs> Bizarre. And is partially responsible for the homeless problem in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Look it up. Yep. Love to see it happen. Yeah, love to see it happen. Okay, so anyways, we're going to get back to Catherine now. Right. And the space race and see how it all ties together with the Cold War. Because, as I said earlier, both countries were vying for power. And to dominate the other in all means... And in any way. So, like, it was political, economic, military, and scientific as well. Nice. The space race, uh, I probably should have... Well, okay. The space race was essentially just a pissing game between the two countries to show that one or the other had the best scientists and engineers. I would challenge that. Yeah, I know. I it, There's more nuance to it. facetious. But, like, the, the stuff I'm going to go over, it was very much like, oh, you're going to send the satellite up? Well, we're gonna send two satellites up. I would, I would again challenge this. <laughs> okay, well, what would you say? I would say that you know, if a rival foreign power mm-hmm. has the capability to put a satellite above you, yeah, we and, get into that too. Okay, all right, then, then we can wait. Yeah, um, it all started in 1955, the same year I was born, actually. Nice. Yeah. Um, the U.S. announced their intent on launching their first satellite into space. Love and the it. Soviet Union, kind of being like base ass, basic-ass bitches, was like, okay, we're going to copy that. And shortly announced their intent to launch a satellite into space. Okay. Well, fuck you. Yeah. And that is exactly what happened in 1957 when the Soviet Union launched Sputnik 1, the first Earth-orbiting satellite. So how did they beat us even though we had the head start? I literally have no idea. And they were commies. <laughs> I know, which is just like such a blow to the ego. Like, Annoying. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll just take comfort in the fact that their country fell apart several decades later. Yeah. I mean, we got to the moon, so I feel like that's really all that's that matters. The, Yeah, that kind of evens out. Yeah. But like a month later, they launched Sputnik 2 carrying a dog named Laika into Ooh, space. Ooh, a real callback for yeah, the EHP. Yeah. I read that and I was like, oh, I gotta include that. Wasn't that our... First animals in space. Our very first, first episode. episode. Laika the space dog. Laika. Oh. oh. Gone but not forgotten. Yeah. Oh. Folks, that... That dog died. <laughs> <laughs> Tragically. It's a tearjerker episode. If you don't yeah. do dead dogs, then uh, don't... don't uh, don't listen. I kind of wish this dog was dead. She no, keeps messing with my just... laptop charger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't know. <laughs> she River, doesn't I'm going to send you into space. <laughs> she doesn't know what's going on. I'm going 
gonna send you into space with no life support. I feel like she's like looking at her butthole, like should I like it, <laughs> <laughs> or should I wait until later? She's she's. I think she's gonna save it for later. She's a little it's restrained. A, it's like a that. nice little. Oh, oh no, no, she just. <laughs> never mind. No, don't lick me. Don't lick me. Okay, bye. <laughs> the right. turn of events really worried the U.S. because it showed that the Soviet Union had better scientists and engineers, but. On a deeper level, there was a fear that the Soviet Union could use the satellites to collect information or send missiles down. That, and, you know, as much as it was a pissing contest, I fully agree. Uh, At the same time, I think on a practical level, there's just national security reasons why you can't just let these guys do this. Yeah, I feel like like this part was not like a pissing contest, but I did a little bit more research and it was like later on, it was like, well, I'll get into it. That it made me really think, like, okay, you can. <laughs> You've proven everything yeah. you had to prove. <laughs> There's only so many satellites you can send into space. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so, uh, where was I? Yes, so they send up satellites. Laika, the dog, great dog, dies in space. Uh-oh. U.S. catch up to them on January 31st of 1958 when they launched their first satellite, Explorer One. Gotta be honest, Sputnik's a better name. I know. Sorry. I know, it just rolls off the tongue. Explorer? That's, that's Explore a little uninspired. Time, you know, it, it, could, it could be worse. It could be worse. Yeah, well, it could always be worse. So, a few, man- a few months later, a few months later, in October of 1958, NASA was created, which effectively took over NACA. Yes. And this is where we kind of go into the history of NACA because it is super interesting. And segregated. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, only with their everything. (laughs) So, okay. NACA, which I think I previously mentioned was like the national academic, whatever, aeronautic place, was (laughs) founded in 1915 as a response to the U.S.'s lack of airplane technology in World War One. Nice. Yeah. And unlike NASA, NACA began with almost no one noticing. It really was just, like, a couple of board members, some military personnel, and, like, one engineer. And their mission uh, and workforce for soon grew to cover a greater role in the aerospace research and industry over time, obviously, not just, like, you know, overnight. But uh, NACA's expanding role led to the creation of its first research and testing facility in 1920, which is the Langley Aeronautical Laboratory, or the... NASA Langley, as it's known. exactly. They did a lot of flight test experiments using a wind tunnel, which resulted in aircrafts being more streamlined and faster. Nice. Yeah, super cool. Wind tunnels. We should do a whole wind tunnel. Oh my god, yes. I love wind tunnels. I've always wanted to stand in one. Like, (laughs) I can take it, you know? I love love watching videos. (laughs) People, like, doing, like, skydiving and their whole face is just, like, contorted. It's like a peel. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'd love to do that. That would be so much fun. Um, They really hit their stride. NACA, that is. Um, Not the... Not the... uh, Skydivers. (laughs) Skydivers. <laughs> NACA really hit their stride in the 1930s and 40s with the threat of another war looming over their country, or our country, U.S. Testing new aircrafts was essential during this time, so NACA was able to open up two more labs, the Ames Aeronautical Laboratory in 1940 and the Aircraft Engine Research Laboratory, or Cleveland Laboratory, in 1941. I'm assuming Ames became NASA Ames? Yes. 
Also, you can see that wind tunnel from the highway. A very impressive wind tunnel. Really? Yeah, I drive by it all the time, actually. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, yeah. In San Fran... Or it's in... Uh, it's kind of south of Mountain View. Whoa. Yeah, you're kidding. No, yeah, NASA Ames is like a huge... If, you wanna, if you're in the Bay Area and you want to get into like aerospace, not where I work, but if you're in the Bay Area <laughs> and want to get into aerospace, they're a great place to go. That is so cool. Um, oh, yeah, the a- Aircraft Engine Research Laboratory would later be renamed the Lewis Research Center. Nice. Yeah, and then after World War II, they really got into supersonic flight research. Ooh! Yeah. Precursor to perhaps the SR-71 Blackbird? Maybe. I really, like, I wanted to do a super deep sure. dive into NACA, yeah. but then I was like, ah, oh, Catherine. Limited time. Catherine's yeah. the star of the show. And I just, I'm just going to jump to 1958 for right now. Okay. Um when they were overtaken by NASA. But for anyone who's listening, if this sounds interesting, I highly recommend looking into NACA's history um, because it's it's pretty damn cool. But yeah, anyways, in 1958, responding to the nation's fear of falling behind the Soviets in exploration of outer space, Congress passed the National Aeronautics and Space Act of 1958, or NASA, and NACA turned over operations like all their research and everything to nasa on october 1st of 1958 i wonder why they didn't just like fund the fuck out of naca um because oh actually i'll get i'll get to that in a Ooh, second if you, if you nice. just listen no, <laughs> I wanna know now. so okay the new agency nasa would be responsible for civilian human satellite robotic space program as well as aeronautical research so it wasn't just like Let's have all these different like groups doing research for this or that. Let's just have one conglomerate. Nice. Make it super easy, and then they can have their up. own departments. Okay. Okay. So it's just it was just easier for that, and like, I mean, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I see where they were coming from with that. Just I'm all for removing admin bloat overhead. Fair enough. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, NACA is still like like all like. All their missions and projects were incorporated into the new agency. Um, so it wasn't like all of their work was just sort of like, you know, control, alt, delete or whatever. It was it was still involved. But um, obviously their NASA's sort of goal was maybe not research and more like implementation and engineering during this time, which sure. I, you know, but it's OK. I've, I've moved on. you've made it past it (laughs) yeah um other programs and facilities from existing agency most notably army's jet propulsion laboratory and redstone arsenal at huntsville now the marshall space flight center were also incorporated into nasa so it wasn't just naca it was like a whole bunch of things the jet propulsion laboratory jpl episode eight nasa's occult magician wow they did not know what they They did not know what they yeah That is a crazy story. Uh, yeah. Um, and a great episode, if I do say so myself. Yeah. So, many of NACA's former personnel took high-level possession positions in NASA as well. So, I mean, I don't know if there was any, like, mass firing or anything like that. Fuck, of course there was. Yeah. yeah. It's the government. Yeah, but... Um, you know who they need to fire is these assholes working on planes. Let's get into space. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> We've done several episodes. Yeah, so, okay, but 
That's sort of a look into NACA, a brief history of the Cold War, and I'm going to get back into the space race because this is, I feel like, kind of where it becomes a pissing match. Okay. In 1958, December, the U.S. would launch SCORE, the world's first communications satellite. A few months after that, the Soviet Union would would launch Luna 1, the first cosmic rocket. I don't know what that means. A cosmic rocket? (laughs) It was just a satellite (laughs) that they called a cosmic rocket, I think. Um, and then the U.S. would send up their first weather satellite, Explorer 6, shortly after that. You see where I'm going with, like, they send up a satellite, we send up a satellite, they send up one, and then we send up another, and it's like, okay, we get it with all the satellites. But, fair enough, fair enough. But um, for all intents and purposes, the Soviet, Union, the Soviet Union was winning the space race. Ooh. I know. By 1961, they managed to send up multiple animals into space, take pictures of the moon, and even send a rocket to the moon, which was Luna 2. And it was getting worse and worse for the U.S. Uh, And the final blow to the U.S.'s ego was in April of 1961. Can you guess what happens? Mr. Yuri Gagarin? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Vostok 1 carried Yuri Gagarin, who would become the first human to reach space. He remained in space for one hour and 48 minutes before landing in West Russia. (sighs) Brings a tear to my eye still. Me too. (laughs) I don't mean to hijack your episode, Mm. but do you know what he said when he was found in the field? No. So, he... Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm curious. I'm a huge Gagarin fan, even though I'm (laughs) anti-commie, but I love Gagarin. Mm -hmm. And... He landed in this farmer's field, Mm -hmm. and the farmer, like, thought he was, like, an alien. (laughs) And he was like, did you just come from space? And he went, like, as a matter of fact, I did. (laughs) (laughs) That is so Russian. (laughs) It's very, yeah. You can't can't beat Gagarin. I know. (laughs) That's kind of awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, the U.S., would eventually make its comeback with Apollo 8 and Apollo 11. Nice. Guess what Apollo 8 and Apollo 11 was? I know what Apollo 11 was. Yeah. The moon landing. Yes. What was Apollo 8? Uh, it was the first human crewed spacecraft to reach the moon, orbit it, and successfully return to Earth. Yes. And you know, I actually know a fun fact about that too, mm-hmm. even though I didn't know that it was Apollo 8. Mm-hmm. They intentionally, on Apollo 8, put just the right amount of fuel for them to circle the moon and just come back because they were afraid that going to the moon was so cool that once the astronauts got to the moon they would go AWOL and try to land on the moon (laughs) just so that they could like walk on the moon so they gave them not enough fuel to do that and come back oh what a bunch of bitches I know it's like let my guys be space pirates (laughs) let them commandeer the vessel I know that makes me think so they could have landed on Apollo 8 I mean, they had full control, you know? So... Well, they could have landed. They just couldn't have, like, you know, come back because there wasn't enough fuel. But it was the same vehicle. No, but what I'm saying is if they had enough fuel, they could have landed and then come back. Yes. Bruh. Well, they didn't want to... I mean, you don't want to do everything in one mission, you know? You gotta you gotta get flight heritage first. Yeah, you gotta make sure it's even, like... Like, they... I feel like they didn't even know... Like, the reason they sent dogs up, right, is because they didn't even think... Like a living. living creature could survive space. So send a fucking dog? That's fucked up. I know. Well, what are they going to do? They only live like 10, 15 years max. <sighs> For now. Yeah. Oh, and you want to hear a cool fact? Yeah. So 
my grandfather, my dad's father, uh, was a communications uh, employee at NASA Ooh. in Maryland. A, a mighty heritage. Yes, yes, which is was so cool because like that's why my dad's such a huge space nerd. Yeah, and. My dad specifically remembers Apollo 13. Wow. And he remembers... The whole crisis? Yeah. My grandfather, I think, would bring sleeping bags into work. Oh, my gosh. Because everyone was just, like, full hands That's on amazing. deck. Do, do you want to explain what happened in Apollo 13? Um, I don't remember the details, but, like, like Apollo 13... I, what was the mission? I think it was just go back to the moon, or I don't know if they even landed. They might have just been orbiting. No, I think, yeah, I don't, I can't remember what the mission was, if they were supposed to land or not, but they did just kind of like orbit around the moon. I think like they were low on fuel at around this time, so like their plan was to just like use moon's gravity and earth's gravity to like slingshot them back to right. To Earth, but it was a mission that went horribly wrong. There was like some kind of electrical. Yeah, a piece of the the harnessing. I think two years before the launch had like Mm -hmm. frayed or something. There was some electrical issue. Yeah, so it just caused everything to go haywire. Like I think their uh, trajectory, like they were basically like flying blind. Yeah, and they were trying to save fuel, and that caused them to like have to. They they were going through some horrible conditions. Like they, yeah, they like lost some of the life support stuff, and they had to do all this like wacky shit. Like, like they got yeah. locked out of like I think the service module or something. And yeah, they were low yeah. on power. They were low they, on power, yeah. and they had to come up with these like crazy contraptions to like MacGyver their way out of it. Yeah. Great movie, folks. If you haven't seen Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks, I believe. Oh my god, such a good movie. So fucking good. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's um, the mission my grandfather worked on. And, yeah, sleeping bag. I mean, every, everybody. I well believe it. Yeah. Those dudes were going to die. Yeah. and I think, But they all ended up living. They all lived. <laughs> yeah, they, they made were it. Okay, yeah. I, I don't remember who, uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but somebody called it the, like, the most successful failure of NASA history. Yeah. Because <laughs> they fumbled the bag and then just, like, worked miracles <laughs> to recover it. Yeah, but... Oh, no, what were you going to say? Sorry, I was just going to bring... I was going to take the slight opportunity to, to dick suck a little bit for Gene Kranz, <laughs> or, uh, who, who's uh, the flight director, mm. who is just super NASA dude. Anyway, we don't need to get into it, but he was a super cool dude. No, I Classic I of NASA hear. history. Ex-Marine guy. Oh, okay. He was like, basically, the guy who ran Mission Control, he's the guy who coined the phrase, failure is not an option, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was that guy. Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. So many classic I NASA know, lines from that I mission. Know. Oh, such yeah. a good movie, too. So fucking We should good. watch that. We should. I love that. Yeah, anyways, that's why my dad's a huge space nerd, but... Yeah, I will believe that. Well, well... You know, take a step back. Oh, interestingly enough, Katherine Johnson also worked on Apollo 13. Nice. Yeah. And that kind of brings us back to... Kind of orbits us back. Hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That was really good. I like that. I like that. Okay. Yeah, it orbits us back to Katherine Johnson. Sure. We give you the background of Cold War, Space Race, NACA. Love it. You're welcome. Listeners? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I understand. No. Yeah. Okay, so Katherine Johnson. 
you know who she is, you love her, you don't really know what she does yet, because I'll get into that right now. Hell yeah. Um, honestly, the success of previous missions in like 1958, late 50s, early 60s, and Apollo 8, and Apollo 11 would not have happened if it were not for the hardworking engineers and Katherine Johnson yeah. and NASA. Catherine's uh, first day at NACA before it became NASA, she said she was astonished and amazed to be working alongside intelligent and professional black women. That's awesome. I know. Uh, I love her. Apparently, a team leader for a group of engineers asked Catherine to personally check on his calculations kind of early into her career. Sure. And Catherine immediately caught an error. Ooh. She pointed out the mistake to him. Fuck yeah. And even though he was embarrassed, he knew she was right. And that sort of made her stand out. I love it. I, yeah. And I, I honestly, you know, fuck the segregation aspect of <laughs> NACA, obviously. But, like, you can see, like, I love moments like that where it's, like, people sort of in this situation are just sort of, you know, struggling towards the good. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I, I mean, I can only imagine, like... Like, this guy is, like, in the South. He's a well-educated guy, probably. I don't he's not know. used to this kind of environment. Yeah, I mean, he's working for NACA or NASA or whatever. And then, like, a woman, a, a, like, a black woman, like, points out a, a mistake. Like, that's gonna, that's gonna make you kind of notice some things. And maybe, like, make you reevaluate a little bit. But I don't know. I didn't really do any research on him because he's not that important. But Katherine Johnson is because her background and skills in analytical geometry made her stand out even more to nice. her colleagues. Love it. Especially the male colleagues. And managed to eventually get her reassigned to the guidance and control division at Langley. GNC. Yeah. And um, no spoilers, there were all white male engineers working there. So <laughs> um, her boss in the computer department also stated that she was the brightest person they had on the team nice yeah all right so russia launched their two satellites into orbit it's 1958 russia's got two satellites so i don't think we really have any any satellites NACA's, we got a rock we threw we, the rock really we, hard we did we did we tried NASA's <sighs> turning into nasa work started to ramp up nasa says their goal to the to the employees is to put a man on the moon nice and to do this, Catherine would work long-ass hours during the day, stop by her house to have dinner and put her daughters to sleep, and then head back into work at night. It's the life of a professional woman. I, she's a single mother. Single mom. Working probably, like, I shit you not, like, 70-hour work weeks. Like, no doubt. Definitely going in on the weekends kind of thing. Like, 7 a.m., clock in 7 p.m clock out sure maybe like an hour to have dinner with her family and put them to bed i kind of love she had dinner with her family i kind of love that yeah it is really nice and this isn't you know she probably like driving back and forth yeah yeah, Yeah. of course yeah so her most notable work includes doing trajectory calculations for the space flight of alan shepard for freedom seven mission or mercury redstone three. Oh, i love the mercury missions yeah so and this was in may of 1961 um and it was the first uh human space flight yeah and she also did launch window calculations for the mission as well yeah so the objective for this mission the mercury redstone three this one specifically was to just put a human into orbit and have them come back safely so was this pre or post gagarin um 
1961, I believe. I mean, it had to be. So the same year as Gagarin, but I don't know when he went up. Um, probably before. Otherwise, it would be Alan Shepard's name we'd be talking about. Yeah, well, Gagarin was definitely the first guy in space, but I wonder if it's like the first... I Probably the first U.S. person in space. Yeah. It, yeah. So, oh, it, Gagarin was April of 1961. Sure. And this guy was May, so very yeah. shortly afterwards. Okay. All right. So we're, 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 we're nipping we're, the we're, heels. Yeah, we're, we're, we're neck and neck. But, you know, neck and neck is... What is that in terms of space? That's Ricky, if you're not first, you're last. Exactly. So for those who don't know what launch window is, are you familiar with that term? I'm familiar with that term. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to describe it to you as as a layman. Okay. And, you know, just doing some Google basic research. Well, Google searching, I and, like and it. And you let me know what you think about it. Okay. I I could be your Katherine Johnson, right? So Yeah, you could I'll be your fact checker. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the launch window is a term used to describe a time period in which a particular mission must be launched. If the spacecraft intends to rendezvous with another spacecraft, a planet, or other point in space, the launch must be carefully timed so that the orbits overlap at some point in the future. I'd say that's a beautiful and elegant definition. Thank you. So just basically, like, you have to launch at this time, otherwise, like, everything's fucked. Or within this window. Or within this window, yeah. Okay, so she also plotted backup navigation charts for astronauts in case of electronic failures. Nice. Queen. Love that shit. And when NASA used electronic computers to calculate John Glenn's orbit around Earth, which was uh, Mercury Atlas 7, and I think John Glenn like also named it Friendship 7, um, officials called Catherine to verify the computer's numbers because... Apparently, at the time, digital computers were not reliable, and they are kind of, like, finicky. Alan Turing, fucking up on that one, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, no. He would never. Are you kidding? That man's a king. <laughs> um, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it is in the movie, which means it's got to be true. Definitely. Um, John Glenn specifically asked for Catherine. I, you know what? Folks, we haven't confirmed it, but I would say in my mind that happened. I know. I like. Let's just make it fact. Let's live in an alternate universe where I'm for sure certain that happened. I'm already there. Okay. Cool. Um, she also worked on spaceflight trajectories, trajectories on Apollo 11 as well, and all of these calculations, for the most part, were done by hand because, again, digital digital computers were assholes and unreliable. It's kind of amazing to think how much stuff was done by hand in the past, you know? I know. I was thinking about that. I, I'm, I worked on a couple of projects, like, where we have to reference old drawings, like, in the 1920s. Oh, wow. Everything was, like, you don't have hand a computer drawn. in the 1920s. That's amazing. And no one had good handwriting either. <laughs> so it's like, is that a W? Yeah. A U or a V? Is it weight, velocity, oh, yeah, or like I really can't tell. friction? And if I can't, I t- what is that? So it's super annoying. That's terrible. We should bring back drafting. Well, I mean, we kind of already have that with like civil three. Well, what, what do you mean by drafting? Like not civil three D, like, like dra- hand drafting hand, as an art. Uh, yes, as an art, not as a means to like. Fair enough. Please. <laughs> you know, I heard a great expression one time, which was about like all of our like calculations and how we can dial things in. Mm-hmm. It was like anyone can build something that works, but it takes an engineer to build something that barely works. <laughs> <laughs> Just needs to hold on for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and then start falling apart with people on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Okay, she also wrote papers on flight trajectory that gave her even more recogni- recognition oh because, like, it was, like, the first report of its time. It's crazy to think, like, in a fair society what she would have done. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. She probably would have been running NASA, honestly. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, and she, I mean, she had a 33-year career at NASA and retired in 1986. And not only was she a boss-ass queen in her field, she was she would often speak to students about her own career. And That's awesome. Yeah, she would encourage them to pursue STEM careers. She would have been a guest on the EHP if we had gotten off our asses a couple years ago <laughs> and gotten her for the interview. God, that would have been fun. Yeah. At a NASA Trailblazers and Legends STEM conference in Cape Canaveral, Florida... She told students that, quote, we will always have STEM with us. Some things will drop out of the public eye and will go away, but there will always be science, engineering, and technology. There will always, always be mathematics. Everything is physics and math. Wow. And that's all I got. Catherine, the boss queen Johnson. That is for sure her middle name. I looked it up. I believe you. The boss queen. Yeah. That's a beautiful and inspiring story. It makes me want to watch the movie. I've never seen it. It's a good movie. Giant, I, I enjoyed it. I, I've heard it's... I mean, it's a modern classic. Yeah. I, it's it's one of the few like space NASA movies I have not watched. Really? Yeah. So, Blind Spot. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen... Guess that's why they call it Hidden Figures. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like Blind Spot. Like there was a movie called Blind no, Spot. No, no. It's, <laughs> it's just a Blind Spot for me. It has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Yeah, great movie. So, I kind of... I don't know if you want to get a little more philosophical here at the end. Mm -hmm. But it does make me wonder, you know, I think we tend to be very critical of the society in which we live today. Mm -hmm. But I also think we've made gigantic strides since Katherine Johnson's time. Yeah. And I wonder, do you think the time's finally come for, like, you know, today's Katherine Johnson? How, How... do you feel like today's Katherine Johnson will be able to live in a basically fair uh, sort of working world in society? Um, I don't know. I It's easy to compare from like 50 years ago. Sure. Because it was very, very unfair 50 years ago. But I think it's we shouldn't compare to what was yesterday. We should only um, strive towards a better future. I love it. We're not resting on our laurels. Mm-hmm. We're Americans, goddammit. We're we're improving every day, kind of. Yeah. Because yeah. the commies are closing in at all times. <laughs> it's the Red Scare, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Cold War Two. Let's do it, folks. Cold War Two. Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> not to bring back the Boog discussion. Oh. The Boog discussion? From like, oh man, I want to say like episode five, the Boog, where the like sort of alt-right militia type, I don't know if they're alt-right, but like militia types, like are going to wear Hawaiian shirts and like to overthrow the government. Oh, you have such a better memory than I do. It's, I just file things away in a weird place. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I also go to weird places on the internet. Yeah, that's, what? Very weird places. Anyways, this was fun. I enjoyed this a lot. I love <laughs> NASA slash NACA history. Yes. I was a little disappointed to hear about NACA being segregated. I did not know that. Well, everything was segregated, honestly. No! <laughs> I mean, not a, a lot of things were. I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not pretending 
I don't want to be naive about the past. It was for... I mean, like, I don't think you could really... Do you know about the Love versus Virginia? Um, or maybe not Virginia, but there was a case in, like, the 60s where a woman wanted to marry her husband who happened to be black in Virginia, but they wouldn't allow it because it was Virginia in the 60s, and they were in, like, the D.C. area. I, I hadn't heard of that. I'd well believe it. Um yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't want to have some rose-colored view. I guess probably everywhere was segregated. But I'm very glad that they did away with that in the NASA era. And uh, and it makes me proud to think, you know, how far we've come and, yeah. you know, how far we're still going. Yeah, Loving v. Virginia. It was in 1967 that the date was decided. but gotcha. Or the, that the court decided, I think, that they should just get married or whatever. But I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, you know... We grew up in that area, so it's nice to assume that, like, uh, it was always, like, a uh, very integrated sort of, like, welcoming. I'm not that naive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. You, you always think of your hometown as, like, the best place in the world. Well, no, true. I don't. <laughs> I don't, but, you know. Yeah. It's uh, hard to wrap your head around, like, your hometown had maybe a dark past. You never know. Yeah. I mean, it did. It's it's right next to D.C. <laughs> yeah. It had a very dark There's past. many rivers and a lot of places to dump bodies. Yeah. And a lot of spies. So you do the math. Drain the swamp. <laughs> Drain the swamp and you'll find the bodies. Oh, jeez. We love, we love Virginia. Look up Clinton crime oh my family. God, stop. Hillary Clinton really has murdered oh my God. multiple people. Okay, we're ending this. Okay, just look up... Clinton News Network. This was fun. I don't... Uh, <laughs> Alright, let's do this again sometime soon. <laughs> Cheers. 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 <laughs>